Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Amen. We give ourselves away so that God can use us. Such a blessing for us to be able to to sing that together. And so today we are going to be continuing in our sermon series called Servant King. Uh, my name is John and I serve here as one of the elders. It's good to be with you this morning, and let's go to God in prayer as we enter his presence and learn more about Jesus Christ, our servant king. Yes, God, you are Lord, and you are truly worthy and deserving of everything that we have and everything that we are. So God, we pray that you would Help us to truly give ourselves away, knowing that if we hang on to our lives, we will lose them. But if we give our lives away for your sake and for the sake of the gospel, what we will gain is far greater than anything in this world that we will lose. So Jesus, we pray that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Show us your power and show us your glory. We ask all these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Servant King. Servant King, we've been going through the book of Mark. And right now, this week, we are in Mark chapter 8, the 8th chapter of the book of Mark. We'll be reading uh, specifically this morning from verse 27 through Uh, the end. So we won't uh, read most of the first section, but we will tell a little bit of that story. Let me just give you some background of where we're coming from as we enter where we are going to be reading. So we have a story here in the book of Mark where Jesus feeds 4,000 people. This isn't to be confused with the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. They're different. He feeds 5,000 people, but he also feeds 4,000 people. And in this story, Jesus has compassion on people who've been with him for a couple days. He's been teaching where to go. And so Jesus says to his disciples, do you have any food? Do you have any bread? And so they tell him, well, we only have cells of bread and we have a few fish. And so what Jesus does in the beginning of Mark chapter 8 is he gives thanks and he multiplies. The people to sit down, he multiplies the food and there's so much food left over that the disciples pick it up. And so they continue in their journey, and there's a point as they are going on in their journey, the Pharisees are asking Jesus for a sign, as if Jesus has not already given a sign by feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. So Jesus is already frustrated with the disciples, uh, with the Pharisees, because they're asking him for a sign They're asking for a sign when Jesus has already given multiple signs about who he is and what he has come to do. And in their journey, Jesus gets a little frustrated and he says to his disciples, let's go over in a boat to the other side of the sea. So they get in this boat and they go over to the other side of the sea. And as they're in this boat, an argument breaks out between the disciples. And this is what the argument is about. They are arguing because they only have one loaf of bread. They didn't bring enough food for the journey across the sea. Now, you would think that if you just saw somebody multiply seven loaves of bread 
and a few fish to feed thousands and thousands of people, you wouldn't be worried that all you have is one physical loaf of bread. You would know that, okay, I've seen this before. I've, I've seen this story. This guy has multiplied loaves of bread and fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. Surely he will take care of us as well. But you see, the disciples are focused on what's in, for, in front of them, and they start to argue and bicker among each other, accusing one another of whose responsibility it was to bring the food that they needed for this journey. And Jesus looks at them, and he starts to question them, and he says, don't, don't you guys get it? Don't you understand, and don't you see that I have all power and authority in my hand? You do not have to be worried about what you will eat. You don't have to be worried about how you will be filled. I am with you. The story goes on, and Jesus encounters a blind man. Now, this is a blind man who's been blind from birth, had been outcast by his society, and Jesus goes to him. And it's a very unique healing story because most of the healing stories that we encounter in the Gospels, Jesus heals a person instantaneously. Sometimes Jesus doesn't even have to say anything to them or touch them. They are just healed because they're in his presence. But in this story, we see something very unique where Jesus uh, goes to heal this blind man. And he's asking him these questions. And Jesus touches him the first time. And he asks him, can you see? And the blind man says, I think I can see, but it's kind of fuzzy. I see people, but they all look like trees. I can't see definition. I can't see any clothes or anything that really makes people kind of pop. And so Jesus takes him outside of the camp. And Jesus uses his spit a second time. And that's when the man's eyes are opened. And Jesus asks him not to go back into the city, but to go because Jesus has made him well. So that's everything that's happening in the background as we enter into our passage today. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 29. And in this passage, there's a very important question that Jesus asked. So I want to ask you this morning to reflect on the most important question you've ever had to answer. What's the most important question you've had to answer? It might be a question on a test that you've answered. Or for people in the room, it might be answering to, will you marry me? For people like me, it's answering the question, would you like fries with that? There are so many important questions that we are called to answer in life. And so Jesus has a question for his followers this day. And here's what it says. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others say, one of the prophets. So Jesus has this important question that he wants to ask his disciples. He's asking them this question about who people say he is. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? A very important question for the disciples in their time, but also an important question for us to answer today. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is asking them, hey, what's, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And some people said, well, 
People are thinking that you are John the Baptist. You've been reincarnated. You've come back from the dead to bring lots of repentance and to bring the kingdom. And others were saying, hey, you're this important prophet from the past. You know, Elijah, if you remember the story of Elijah, Elijah was a prophet who never tasted death because at the end of his life, he was carried up into heaven in a chariot. I want to, ex- I always imagine like what was the soundtrack of like that scene in the Bible, right? This, this fiery chariot coming and swooping down. Maybe it might have been swing low, swing chariot. Or chariots of fire. What's that? What's that song? Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. But that's Elijah. And people were saying, hey, maybe this guy is Elijah because we've never seen a prophet like him. We've never heard teaching like his. So definitely this is a prophet from heaven. This is Elijah who went up and never died, and God has sent him back down to us. Or one of the other powerful prophets in the days of Israel. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, there's only one answer to that question, and it's an answer that Peter, the leader of the disciples, gives. Jesus is the Christ. So let's read what Peter says to the uh, question that Jesus asks. In Mark 8, 29 through 33, it says, Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. The Son of Man must suffer. Let's stay here for a bit. So the answer that Peter gives to that question is that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what does that word Christ mean? You know, in my early days walking with Jesus, I always thought that was his, like, last name, right? Jesus Christ. So his, his first name is Jesus, last name Christ. But Christ is a word that actually means the anointed or the Messiah or the Lord. So Peter confesses that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you look through the history of the church, this is one of the earliest declarations of the gospel. A very simple way to say what the gospel is. Jesus is Lord. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the Deliverer. You are the Rescuer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so this is a revelation to Peter, and a revelation to the rest of the disciples. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 16, there's a longer account of what we see here in Mark, and Jesus actually tells Peter, he looks to him and he says, this isn't something that you have confessed on your own, but it's something that God has revealed to you, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus goes on and uses this opportunity to teach He wants to teach them what does it mean for him to be the Christ? What does it mean for him to be the anointed one? What does it mean for him to be the deliverer and the savior? Because for the children of Israel, they had been hearing and waiting for the anointed one for a long time. So Jesus takes this opportunity. He pauses and he begins to teach them who the Christ is. But his teaching is weird and different. It's not what the people were expecting. 
Jesus starts to talk about the Son of Man and the Christ must suffer and must be rejected and must be killed. Now, to the ears of any Jewish person hearing this about the person who they've just confessed to be the Christ, this is absurd. Because they had always thought about the Messiah as a person that was going to come with power and authority to overthrow the Roman government, a person that was going to come to live instead of die, a person that was going to come to rescue them from their shame, not experience shame themselves. And so this rubs Peter the wrong way. It rubs him the wrong way. And so as we continue reading, we see what Peter's reaction is. Peter says this to Jesus. And he said this plainly. That's Jesus talking, is teaching about his uh, position as the Christ. And Peter doesn't like this. So Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Now, the word that Mark uses in this passage is the same word that is used when Jesus rebukes evil spirits. We've seen this already in earlier chapters that we've studied. And so Peter's rejection of this claim of Jesus Christ is really harsh. He's using like these harsh words and saying, Jesus, like, don't do this. He's rebuking him the same way Jesus rebukes demons. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus in turn rebukes Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus rebukes Peter, not because he doesn't like Peter, but he rebukes Peter because this is something that only happens another time in Scripture where somebody is trying to make Jesus get glory and power for himself through another means other than dying. When Jesus is tempted in the desert, the devil asked Jesus to bow, to bow down to him, and he will get all the glory and all the honor. And essentially, the same thing is happening here, where Peter is saying, Jesus, you do not have to suffer. Jesus, you do not have to be betrayed. You do not have to die to get glory and honor. We will get the glory and the honor for you with fighting, but not with suffering. We'll get it for you not with dying, but with living forever. And so Jesus rebukes Peter and the words that come out of his mouth because Jesus knows that there is something that God has called him to. God has called him to suffer. God has called him to betrayal. God has called him ultimately to death. So Jesus teaches Peter. And he doesn't just teach Peter, he teaches all the other disciples around him. He reframes their understanding of who the Messiah is, what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about power, but it's not power that comes through the ordinary means of military power. Jesus teaches them that in order to get this power, he would have to lay down his power. Jesus teaches them that, yes, the kingdom of God is about life, but in order for him to establish life on earth, he would have to lay down his own life and taste death. Jesus lets them know, yes, the kingdom of God is about joy and peace and righteousness, but he would have to experience betrayal at the hands of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Jesus tells them that this kingdom that he is ushering as Messiah is a different kingdom. And he, as a Messiah, 
is a Messiah that calls his followers to experience the kingdom in a different way. And so Mark 8, 34 through 38, and calling the crowd to him and with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So this is the answer. This is the answer and the confession. But Jesus comes back and says to them, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? So Jesus is asking the crowd here, there are certain things that I want you to do in response to the question that I have asked. Who do people say that I am? But more importantly, that second question, who do you say that I am? And the answer that Peter gives, which is a great answer, it's the best answer we can ever give, that Jesus is the Christ. But our call to follow Jesus doesn't stop there. When Jesus asks us that question, who do you say that I am? And we confess that Jesus is the Christ. There's another question that we must ask, how we should live in light of this, right? And so Jesus paints a picture for us of the way that we are to respond. Respond to this claim that he is truly Lord of heaven, Lord of the earth, Lord of our lives. Jesus says we are to do three things. To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Now, these are really strong. In fact, in the languages used in the Bibles, these are commands. Like Jesus is using commanding language to say, if you want to follow me, these are the things that you have to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. If you confess with your mouth that I am Lord, these are the things you have to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, denying ourselves doesn't mean we somehow forget who God has created us to be. It just means that we understand that Jesus is in first place, and so we must give him that place in our lives. We must seek not our own self-fulfilling destinies, but the destiny that God has for us. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. This is another thing that those who are hearing this are thinking, wait, a cross you know, I understand suffering, I understand death, that's cool, but the cross is a different kind of suffering and a different kind of death. It's suffering and death that is reserved for the most heinous criminals. It's suffering and death that is painful. It's suffering and death that is shameful. It brings a lot of shame with it. Being crucified on a cross in public for everybody to see brings a lot of shame. And so Jesus is asking anyone who follows him, know that this is a possibility when you decide to follow me. There will be shame and there will be a burden that you have to carry. And follow me. 
Don't follow anybody else. Don't even follow the idea of me that has been painted by generations before. Jesus says, follow me, the Messiah, the chosen one that stands before you today. Follow me. If you look at other passages in the Gospels that talk about this, they have a modifier for this command, follow me daily. So deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. There's this idea of like, this isn't just the one-time thing that you do, but every single day and every moment of each day, God is calling us to think about what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow him. If he truly is Lord of heaven and earth, and Lord of our lives, then we must be asking these questions consistently. In my work, how am I denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus? As a parent, how am I denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus? As a student and a teenager, how am I denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus? Those are questions that God calls us to ask daily. Now, in painting this picture, Jesus is asking the disciples to count the cost, like truly count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Counting the cost. Because Jesus tells them, you know what? You can gain the entire world and lose what's actually most valuable, which is your soul. You can gain the entire world and still lose your soul. So he tells them, what does it profit anyone to gain the entire world and yet lose their souls? And in verse 37, what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. The costs and the benefits. What are the costs of following Jesus and what are the benefits of following Jesus? What are the costs of not following Jesus and what are the seemingly gleaming benefits which in the end are really not benefits at all? That's the picture that Jesus is painting here. What can a man give in return for their soul? What does it profit any one of us to gain the entire world but yet lose our souls? What does it profit us to become the best at the job that we are doing and the job that God has called us to, but yet lose our souls by not following Jesus? What does it profit us if we become the richest people in this world and yet are bankrupt spiritually? What does it profit us if we gain every accolade of beauty and fame and glory and we are without Jesus Christ? What does it profit any human being to gain the whole world and to lose their soul? Jesus asks those questions. So I want to ask you the same questions for you to reflect on. If Jesus is truly your king, and if you are called to serve him with joy in your place of calling, who do you say that Jesus is with your words and with your actions? Who do you say that Jesus is? That same question that Jesus asked his disciples 
over 2,000 years ago is the same question he's asking you and I today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he your Messiah? Is he your Lord? Is he your King? Who do you say that Jesus is? And the second question, what's your soul worth? How much does it cost for your soul? What's the value of your soul? And the third question, how should you live in light of the answers that you give to these questions? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he Lord? Is he King? Or is he just another prophet? What is your soul worth? Is your soul worth just the value of monetary things? Or is your soul of eternal value to the King of kings and Lord of lords? And how should you live? You see, we can answer all of these questions from our own perspective. From our own perspective, we can say that, yes, Jesus is a good moral man who lived. He did a lot of good, nice things, but he's not deserving of my complete devotion. He's not deserving of everything that I am. He's not deserving of me taking up a cross and following him daily. We can answer from a human perspective. What is our soul worth? We can enter into spaces where we start to debate, well, you know, as long as I'm not really doing a lot of bad things, I, I, can, I can see my soul is kind of worth all these billions of dollars or this career or this kind of status that I get in society. And we trade our souls for those things. We can answer from a human perspective that says, you know what, even if Jesus is king, I don't really need to live for him completely. Like I can just show up every Sunday read my Bible every once in a while, just be nice to people, and that's the way that God's calling me to live. Or we can answer these questions from a God perspective, from the perspective that Jesus gives through the power of his Holy Spirit. Who do you say that Jesus is? Knowing that we can only confess with our hearts that Jesus is Lord because God has revealed that to us. And so we declare it with confidence, we declare it, and we're not ashamed to say to our friends, we believe that Jesus is Lord. We believe from a God perspective that Jesus is the King. We believe from God's perspective that Jesus is the anointed one who was promised a long time ago and has come and fulfilled every single prophecy that was made about him. What is your soul worth? From a God perspective, we can answer this question and say, my soul is worth the very life of God himself. Because that is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. When he's crucified, he takes on the sin of the world. But the reason he does that is because he loves our world so much. He loves us in this way. God values your soul so much that he was willing to sacrifice the life of his son so that your soul can be bought back and reconciled to God. Your soul is precious to God. What is your soul worth? You can answer that question from a God perspective and say, 
My soul is worth the very life and breath of God himself. How should we live? How should we live in light of these questions? If we truly confess that Jesus is Lord, he's the anointed one, he's the king. And if we say that our souls are not things to be played with, that even the entire treasure of this world cannot compare to the value of our souls. Our souls are worth the very life and breath of God himself. Then how should we live? And we should live in this world as people who know that the glory of God is on us, that the spirit of God rests on us to bring the same good news to others, to bring this story of restoration and reconciliation to others, to bring to people this message that your soul is valuable to God. Your soul is of much more value to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have to answer those questions. And we have to ask those questions of each other. Who do you say that Jesus is? What is your soul worth? And how are we going to live in light of your answers to those questions? Church, Jesus at the end of this passage talks about the things that we must look at when we answer these questions. It is not enough to be ashamed of Jesus in this life because God is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead as we speak every Sunday through the creeds. God is coming again in glory to judge every action and the way that we live in light of our answers to these questions. God is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, will we be people who confidently walk up knowing that it is his blood and his power that cover us? Or will we be ashamed at his second coming? When Jesus comes again in glory with the Father and with his angels, are we going to be people who sing, yes, Lord, even so come, come, Lord Jesus, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you and through your power, and through your spirit, we've been living lives that are worthy of this calling. Or will we hide in shame? If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus or answered that question about who Jesus is by saying that Jesus is the Christ, I encourage you, let today be the day that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus as Lord, as the Christ as the only one who is worthy of your entire life, of your soul, and the one who gives you life, the very breath of God that breathes new life into you. Jesus is calling us. Jesus wants us to see the value of our souls. Jesus wants us to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him because it's in losing our lives that we actually save them. It's in laying down our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ that we are able to pick them up in glory and victory. So Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is our Messiah. And Jesus is waiting. 
waiting for us to answer the gentle questions that he's sending out to us. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What is your soul worth? And how are you going to live in light of the answers to those questions? Let's pray together. Jesus, we ask that we would not be lacking when those questions are asked of us by friends or family or even by ourselves. And whenever those reflection questions come up, we would be able to answer confidently that Jesus is the Christ and that our souls are worth the very life and breath of God himself. And that those things call us to live radically different and new lives that are worthy of the glory and majesty that is due to our God. Lord, help us to constantly be in communion with you. Lord, we pray that you would help us every day as we sang this morning to give ourselves away for your pleasure and for your glory. God, use us because our lives are not our own. They belong to you. May we not hang so tightly to our lives that we lose our very souls. God, teach us that it is in laying down our lives for your sake and the sake of the good news of the gospel that we pick them up in glory. Give us boldness and give us courage to do this on a daily basis, O God. Give us community so that we never feel like we are ever walking this path alone. And so we say with confidence as a church this morning, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are Messiah. You are the name above all names. You are our blessed Redeemer. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. You are Lord of all. And so we deny ourselves, we take up our crosses daily, and we choose to follow you. Help us know that we will never be put to shame when we do those things. We ask all these things in the mighty name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.